0: We are on post millennialism today. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, so um, let's pray. Gary, will you pray for us, please?
1: Gary, my Father, thank you for this wonderful group of uh, Christian brothers and sisters that are assembled here today, uh, part of the body of Christ. And thank you that we seek the light. I understand little children being afraid of the dark, but we grown-ups need not be afraid of the light. And so help us to learn what the pastor teaches us today and in the sermons. Thank you for our many, many blessings. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay, we are on our third of... Sorry, my helper is slow. First he told everyone to sit here, and then we're just trying to undo all of the... Okay, post-millennialism, we have done pre-millennialism, we did amillennialism last week, this week post-millennialism, which really kind of sprang out of the soil of amillennialism, so there are going to be some commonalities, and since there was so much material that we rushed through last week... um, we will maybe stop and make a comment that will apply to both, okay? So, on your outline, first, again, I want to stress we, we, as we look at this, and this one is the least, like, rooted in the scripture where they have this really well, uh, argumented kind of way of presenting their, theirs is more about, you know, the, the theme of post-millennialism is God will be victorious because he's God. Because God, his purposes will not be thwarted. He will accomplish his purposes on earth. And I believe that's true, but not necessarily in the way they say. But I want you to uh, hear some of the names. Do you have some extra? Yeah, let me, so I can remember what, here, you, okay. Do um, you have one? No. Okay, so here's some of the the uh, and again with some of that amillennial millennial roots the the Westminster Confession, the Augsburger Augsburg Confession, both of those confessions have uh, post millennial type statements in them. Now here's some leading commentaries. There was a, a theologian called Stephen Sharnock back in the seven, excuse me seventeen hundreds. Matthew Henry, he has these really long commentaries. Jonathan Edwards, anyone heard of him? You know, sinners in the hand of an angry God. Okay, so we're not talking about a bunch of off-the-wall kind of people here, because this was often the idea that the millennium, we're in it, and we're going to accomplish all these purposes in the end. Charles Hodge, uh, some of the Calvinists. The, Matthew Henry, did I skip? I said him. A.H. Uh, Strong B.B. B. Warfield who's a leading theologian here's a surprising name J. Gresham Machen he was the big defender of, of uh, the conservative the fundamentalist modernist controversy in the 20, 1920s he was the, uh, the very learned spokesman on behalf of the conservative fundamental position uh, pushing back on liberalism Uh, Lorraine Bettner, a guy named Kick who's contemporary, and Ken Gentry. These are all staunch supporters of biblical inerrancy who also believe in post-millennialism. And it was also a leading position of the Puritans, believe it or not. And the 19th century, as progress was moving forward, they loved the idea that all of this would accomplish God's purposes and that we would make his kingdom right here on earth. The biggest difference between amillennialism and postmillennialism is postmillennialism is very optimistic. Amillennialism is not. Amillennialism shares with premillennialism the idea that things are going to get worse, apostasy, the great tribulation at the end, and Jesus will come. Um, and but postmillennialism thinks things are going to get better and better and better, and with all the technological advances in the 1800s, um, that you can see why they might have thought that. Of course, the 20th century was a bit of a blow to postmillennialism. Anybody think of why? Would yeah, two world wars kind of put a dent in it. Yet, nevertheless there are still, it's kind of gotten a resurgence. So you see on your outline, increasing righteousness um, that will come during the church age. Oh yeah, I forgot. With amillennialism, this one's positive, but it also believes, unlike amillennialism, that the kingdom is happening on earth physically, not just spiritually in heaven. It is happening there, but it's also an earthly kingdom. So that's where premillennialism, postmillennialism have in common both believe in a a actual physical kingdom not just a spiritual kingdom in heaven so things get better christ returns all the same judgments we believe in um, and then christ returns after a non-literal millennium and the church receives israel's promises so again no plan for israel in post-millennialism just to tip you off Okay, here's a a quote from a current guy who has a book on Amazon, and here's what Amazon wrote, or what he wrote about his book. He says, the average Bible-believing Christian today expects the rapture to snatch them out of the world at any minute. Thus, they have a pessimistic and short-range vision of the future. Postmillennialism offers every Christian an exciting, hope-filled view of the future that encourages long-term planning and constructive participation for the glory of God. Doesn't that sound great? I mean, would that... Okay, doesn't that idea have some attractiveness to it? Sounds like a politician, right? <laughs> for the tape, Dr. Don Lindemann said it sounds like a politician... The success of the Great Commission in this age and a progressive victory of Christianity in time and history into all human life and culture. Now, there's something attractive about having the gospel go to the ends of the earth and actually it works, right? Wouldn't you be excited to see that? Wouldn't you be excited excited to see government be righteous and, and promoting godly values and not all of what we've experienced for generations? not just now where there's fighting but you know I read a, a biography on Hamilton Alexander Hamilton and you thought like man this is like out of the pages of today the meanness and the all the stuff that was going on so this is nothing new but in this view you don't look at today you don't look at the short term you look at the long term so number 1 roman numeral
2: no idea one. About <laughs>
0: well something worked Roman numeral one, God's kingdom is a present earthly reality that will grow gradually. Had to give this young lady in the front row, she didn't have, or the second row. Okay, anyway, earthly reality that will grow gradually. The gradual idea is that even though you may not see it, it's still growing. We'll get to that. Jesus said in the, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand, which the amillennialists said, yes, it is in spirit. They're saying, no, he said it's here. This is how the Jews understood it. It was beginning right then, the earthly kingdom. It's present now. It's not a future reality that will happen uh, after Jesus comes again. It's happening right now. So here's some parables. The parable of the mustard seed in Matthew 13, 31, and 32. Um, I need somebody to... Can you do the slide forward? Oh, there we are. Someone read that? Dr. Don?
2: The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of seeds, but when it's grown, it is larger and all the garden plants becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches.
0: Okay. The birds, there's a symbol for you to look up since or are they literal birds? Can we not or do we see that see that is that's part of the struggle. As we know this parable is an allegory and the birds stand for something, and so millennialists and postmillennialists go, see you're already doing the symbolic stuff, so we just extend it. A little farther than you do. Parable of the Leaven, Matthew thirteen thirty three. A lot of these parables in Matthew 13. Who would like to read that one? Next slide.
2: Don't all speak at once.
0: No, it's, the problem is the slide doesn't come up. Mark? Are you working on it, Mark? Okay. There we go. Who would like to read that? Gary Mapson. Okay, again, you have the idea there's a seed... It starts tiny, it grows and grows and grows to become a big tree. And now in this one, leaven, you know how you put leaven or you put baking soda or baking powder or, or yeast in something. It spreads slowly through the dough and it leavens the whole thing. This is a thing. See, this is the picture Jesus is teaching us what the kingdom is going to be like. It's going to start imperceptibly small and it's just going to keep growing until it takes over everything. It will gain momentum as the end nears. Okay, Parable of the Hidden Seed in Mark four twenty six and through 28. Okay, who'd like to read that? Okay, Phil. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps
2: or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel.
0: Okay, so again, the idea of hidden, mystery, growing, you sleep, you don't even know how these seeds are working. I don't know how the seeds are working in my asparagus patch. They aren't, and so it's a big mystery there. So you don't really know, but it happens, doesn't it? All of a sudden it grows up. And then uh, we don't have this on the slides, but parable of the tares and the dragnet talk about how it's a mixed kingdom and that it'll keep growing together. And then at the end, Jesus will separate out the sheep and the goats and the tares. The dragnet is good fish and bad fish that are sorted. And so, in other words, there's a growing. And their contention, though it's not in any of those three parables, is there will be mostly sheep, mostly good fish, uh, mostly wheat, not tares. But the idea is a growth gradually that you can't always see, but it happens earthly, on the earth, in a physical way. Number two letter, Roman numeral two, optimism. I mentioned this is the essence of postmillennialism is an optimism. Expect success toward a golden age. Letter A, God will accomplish his desires. So this is kind of the foundation. It's that God is God, he's sovereign, his purposes will not be thwarted by man he will achieve an earthly victory gospel will convert most of the world we could kind of agree on that we just as premillennialists, we might disagree on the timing say so, yep that's all millennial stuff god will accomplish and he will be successful but it will be in the millennium They say nope it's going to be on earth because the millennium is right now and some of them uh, believe that the millennium is, is a certain thousand-year literal period. They don't know when it starts. Others say it's symbolic, like millennialists for the whole time between Christ's first and second coming. That'll be later in your notes. Okay, so God, we have to expect success. He will accomplish his desires. Isaiah fifty five eleven.
2: So is my word that goes out from my mouth it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it.
0: Okay. And then Isaiah 45. 24. Or 22 through 24. Turn to me and be
2: saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered, in all integrity, a word that will not be revoked. Before me, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess or swear. They will say of me, In the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raised against him will come to him and be put
0: to shame. Okay, and also Psalm 47, Psalm 72, and Psalm 110 have similar themes as what you say. So, these verses say God's purposes will be accomplished. Right? God? Okay, B, now, now we get, so we will agree with all of those principles, we just don't agree on the timing. B, worldwide earthly peace will result in an eventual, not seen it yet, but eventual unprecedented material prosperity. Okay, so here's some of the things, and, and there's some verses if you want to write down, um, is it on your outline, John fourteen twenty-seven and Isaiah 9, 6. You can look those up that talk about those things. Again, they see that as happening on earth. So here's some of the things that will happen, and this sounds great. Poverty will disappear. Disease will be almost gone. Crime will be almost non-existent. Friction among races and social classes will cease. That feels real attractive. And again, you're in the 1800s, in the 19th century. You're seeing things getting, you know, technology. You're seeing, you know, especially in the Western world, all the things that are happening. And the United States is expanding and moving westward. And it's it's a very upbeat, positive century, the 19th century. So this is some of the seed ground of where... Post-millennialism took its deepest root. Yes, sir. Yeah, are you referring to I mean, where are these people living? These quotes that you're extracting here? I mean, the, the peace and the disease and... thought that everything was getting better. I'm sure it wasn't in Africa or... Oh, yeah. No, this is a Western-generated... Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's a Western world.
1: world
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, pretty much, we haven't. The gospel started spreading more in the, seven, in the seventeen and eighteen hundreds. So you, Africa and Asia and all that, haven't heard a lot of this. So you're not going to have theologians uh, springing up uh, that are going to hold on to uh, any millennial view. They don't even know who Christ is yet. So yeah, this is generated out of out of especially. Yeah. England and the United States, yeah. So the prosperous countries. <laughs> okay, so see, Christians will change legal, political, social institutions with bi- biblical ethics to restore theocracy. The world at large will experience righteousness as Christ possess uh, Christians possess political power in every nation. Now we we do kind of strive for that, don't we? We do want to put Christians in government. I think, don't we, Madam Mayor? (laughs) But we sure like to see a lot more of them in state and uh, national government, even local government too, of course. And so we want to change. So, I mean, a lot of the the strength of uh, the movement in the 1980s of the moral majority and all of that, some of them, the post-millennialists, I'm not saying they were post-millennialists, but they would say, because pretty much Liberty, where Jerry Falwell was, is, I'm, that was pre millennial. But they're saying, look, see, we're having Christians in government, look, see and, and and the moral majority and the evangelical uh people have had a huge impact on elections in the, the last several elections across the board. So they're saying, see, there's little imperceptible ways that this is coming true. So here's a quote from a a guy named Lorraine Bettner who also is contemporary and writes, evil in in its many forms eventually will be reduced to negligible proportions. Christian principles will be the rule, not the exception. So Christ will return to a truly Christianized world. And we're going to be looking pretty quick at, or not real soon, but toward the end at Matthew 24 where it says this generation will not pass away before all these things happen and so they think that's the kingdom promises this that it's you know this race these people we're going to keep going it's going to get better okay so under optimism the world today is getting better and here's some of the evidences that they use improving social conditions in many parts of the world okay and that this by the way that is true there is there are, according to um, the World Vision, Stearns wrote a book, you know, the hole in the gospel that that uh, hunger and poverty are slowly, they're making head roads in it and if Christians gave more and participated more, we could end world hunger. He believes that and he's a, a very conservative Christian for World Vision. So the world's getting better, improved social condition in many parts of the world, increased monetary giving to less affluent places, the gospel is being preached using media to expand its reach. For instance, uh, several decades ago, the Jesus film is in so many languages and it's spread and it's become a hugely effective evangelistic tool. To They get a whole village, put up a big white sheet or something, and they show a movie to a whole village about Jesus in their language. And it was the Campus Crusade movie, now called Crew, but same group. Uh, Campus Crusade put this movie together as an evangelistic tool, hugely successful. As well as other media ways. So uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators, that has translated a lot of the New Testament and indeed the whole Bible into different languages that have spread. So they're saying, see, we're making progress. Um, Let's see, the Bible is the world's bestseller still. And there are an increased number of Bible schools and seminaries across the world than there used to be. All of this is true. You do see an expansion. But does that mean that evil has lessened because of that? That's where we could debate. Here's a, a post-millennial guy named J.J. J. Davis, John Jefferson Davis. I figure he must be from Virginia. What do you think? <laughs> okay. Okay. Postmillennialism is based on a forecast for global and long-term prospects of Christianity, not for the local short-term prospects of denominations or churches in America. So if you're bemoaning how the church is declining, how Christians are getting more and more apathetic, how we are becoming more and more the church of Laodicea, he's saying, that's true, but don't look at your country or your denomination or your country, or your area. Don't even look at this era and say, oh, well, see, now compared to, to then, things are worse. I mean, we don't have World War Three. They thought we would, especially about 1962. And that was the Cuban Missile Crisis, in case you're trying to remember the reference. But we've, you know, as far as some of that goes, things have gotten better. Although if you look at the spread of Islam, kind of like we feel a lot less secure. So something doesn't add up in that. But they're saying it doesn't matter. That's a short-term thing during World War I and II. Even though post-millennialism took it on the chin, they've come back up and are, are fighting again and saying, see, things are getting better. It's just all kind of a, a, a collapsing of the ungodly governments across the world. I'd like to believe that was true. There wouldn't be war like that. But he's saying, quit looking at now and quit looking at your area, but look broadly. Number three, lack of present spiritual results is partly due to the church not taking the Great Commission seriously. We haven't gone out and really done our part, which we also can agree to some extent with what that is saying. Okay, now here's a variation of Optimism that maybe you've heard the term latter rain. Anyone ever heard that? You, I hadn't really heard it like expressed that way, but you're nodding your heads if you've been in a Pentecostal charismatic group. It's dominion theology. That word dominion I've heard of a theology. So this is kind of a variation, but it's still in post-millennialism. So the charismatic revival called the latter rain is God's means of binding Satan And allowing the Spirit led church to reclaim material possessions and wealth which have been surrendered to unbelief and Satan. Hallelujah. Don wants a revival. (laughs) The believer must learn to exercise dominion through the Spirit to take part in the advancing kingdom on earth to bring um, millennial conditions. Okay? Now, is there truth in this? Yes, of course. Are we supposed to take dominion over the spiritual kingdoms that that assault us? And you don't have to be in the charismatic movement to believe in spiritual warfare because Ephesians 6 is not cast in a context of of gifts of tongues and healings and miracles and such. Um, We take dominion. We pray warfare prayers. We pray against Satan. You may not do it as specifically and with the binding and loosing of Matthew eighteen eighteen that the Pentecostal movement does, but it doesn 't mean it 's still not true that we have that going on, but we don 't necessarily conclude because we 're doing all this binding that Satan is slowly being hemmed in more and more until at the very end he gets loose and wreaks havoc, but until that time his his area can shrink. More and more. So cataclysmic events and lawlessness do not herald the man of sin. They are merely the prelude to the collapse of ungodly society. Okay? So the millennium then, again, there's variations just like there is in premillennialism and just like in amillennialism. The millennium is the entire period of time between Jesus' first and second comings or... There will be a distinct period in the future characterized by worldwide godliness called the latter days. Okay, is that on your, that's on your outline? Yes? Number E, letter E. So it kind of depends on which post-millennial person you're listening to as to what the millennium on earth actually is. Is it longer than a thousand years or is it a thousand years and it's going to end when Christ comes again? And that thousand years that when or either way, things get better and better and better until the very end in which there will be a collapse of ungodly society when Satan gets loose one time, which we're getting to next. Any questions so far? Yes. So what would they do with Revelation chapter four through nineteen? Probably say it's symbolic which is what amillennialism they would share the idea of the interpretation of revelation mostly with amillennialism but they might say too um, well that's the very last days that's the day of the, the lord which can be longer than a day and so yes there will be all the fulfillment of whatever those symbols mean some might say see it's in the last time some might say it's a symbolic thing again Bill. What do they do with and at the very end, Satan is let loose. Okay, that'll be on the outline next on God's kingdom is conquered. The what? Yes, well, the, the, the tribulation kind of caps off the millennium for some of them. So in other words, Satan is bound, which we're going to get to in a second, but Satan is bound, but he's let loose at the very end of history. And he wreaks havoc, Christ comes again and destroys all of that. Wow! So, sorry, the rear monitor. We have a camera in We can watch what's going on. Okay. Any other questions before we get
1: to? Yes,
0: Larry. I'm not getting
1: this current <clears throat> in my mind quite right because it seems that you're you're getting the the seven year tribulation and the millennium mixed up here. To me, to her. Uh, these things are supposed to happen during the seven-year tribulation. And there has to be a great following my way, according to the Bible, before this takes place, which is happening. There is, going, there is a, a great fall in my way. So we're close to the 7th seven-year uh, tribulation. But after that, we're supposed to have the thousand-year reign that Christ is actually going to reign here right. on earth. It seems like we're getting the
0: two mixed up. Tonight. But they're, what they're saying is, is that the, the tribulation is the, the, the very tail end of the millennial period, which in Revelation it says Satan will be let loose again. He will lead a rebellion against God at the end of the premillennial view of the millennium. Right. And so they're saying this is what this is. It just happens in human history, then Christ comes again. And our and millennialism would say it's that same thing that the millennium is happening. It's either spiritually in heaven with all millennialism. It's physically on earth in some period of time depending on how long it is depends on who you talk to. But at the end of the millennium, whether it's spiritual or physical, there is a great tribulation, rebellion led by Satan.
1: And to me, I've always thought it was before
0: the... the Yeah, I know, but you're looking at it as a premillennialist. This is to understand how they view how they view it. Okay, I got you so there, there, there is scriptural, that they are coming up with this, using scripture to show this pattern. Again, it's where you place the millennium is the key before or after Christ's return. Right. Okay, I got you. okay. Number letter three, God's kingdom has conquered Satan and will endure forever. So God's kingdom will never be destroyed. Daniel 2.44 says... We'd like to read Daniel 2.44. Donna.
2: In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end,
0: but it will itself endure forever. Okay. So God's kingdom right now looks like, you know, from the premillennial point of view, things get worse and worse. Then how is God being victorious? How is his kingdom uh, crushing anything? But we're saying, yeah, it's a matter of timing. Again, when does this happen? Before or after Christ returns? Christ's return in the premillennial system crushes all of, well, it doesn't all the millennial systems. What happens after that's the question. Satan and contrary powers are defeated. This would be similar to all millennialism. His influence will dwindle to almost nothing. John 12, 31. We'd like to read that. Actually, just read all of all of the the verses up there.
2: Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now, now the prince of this world will be driven out.
0: And then Matthew twenty eight eighteen.
2: All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me.
0: Okay, so Jesus defeated Satan at the cross. Jesus has all the authority. So, see, Satan's role has been reduced and it will, be, in their opinion, will be reduced gradually more and more and more. Okay, and then uh, all enemies will be subdued before Christ returns except for this tribulation period. First Corinthians 15:25 says, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So they have this scriptural idea. They just put the timing of the fulfillment differently than we do. Number four, Roman numeral four, believers are already reigning with Christ in heaven. Again, similar to amillennialism. We are already seated with Christ, Ephesians 2.6. Who would like to read it? Ephesians
1: 2.6. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus.
0: Okay, And Revelation 20, verse 4, if you can read that also, Larry,
1: says something similar. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus, and because of the word of God. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years.
0: Okay, so the idea in Revelation and Ephesians 2, 6 is that we are already reigning with Christ in heaven. Okay, and so there is that... But there also doesn't mean there can't be a physical earthly millennium right now, but we are already reigning with Christ. So there's a positive victory thing going on there. So letter B under Roman numeral four, first resurrection in Revelation 20 verse six. We read this before. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. Now, at the very end last week, we talked about the idea that there are mentioned here a first resurrection. Does, the second resurrection isn't, isn't mentioned, but there's a first death and a second death. So what they're saying is, look, if you have a, a, sp- a physical death and a spiritual death, then correspondingly, you must have a physical resurrection and a spiritual resurrection. The first death is physical, the second death is spiritual. It's the reverse, kind of a Greek thing, which is like the letter X. If you go here, here, then you start with the, the second one, and then is number three, and then number four goes back to the first one. So physical death, spiritual death, spiritual resurrection, physical resurrection. So the physical resurrection doesn't happen until the very end when Christ comes. That's the physical uh, resurrection But the spiritual resurrection is referring to all those people that have become Christians and their spirit, which was dead, has been resurrected to life. And that's how they interpret Revelation 20 with all the resurrections and all that. that We're saying in premillennialism, it's a physical resurrection all the way through. There's a physical resurrection when Christ comes, and then there's another one at the end of the millennium. They're saying, how do you get around this? Oh, we make the first one spiritual. And then when Christ says in John, the dead will come to life, some to go to judgment, to everlasting punishment, some go to judgment, to everlasting life, it's referring to this final, second, physical resurrection. But the first one is spiritual. Okay, questions about that? That's a hotly debated piece in amillennialism and postmillennialism versus the premillennial opposing viewpoint. Okay. Number, letter five. Last days before the second coming of Christ. So most believe the great tribulation and apostasy described in Revelation 20 is led by Satan, Antichrist, and end at Armageddon at the end of human history like we've been talking about. Doesn't mean so it doesn't wipe away the Great Tribulation and say it was spiritual. It just says that it will happen at the very end of history, just like the Bible says. Satan is released at the right before the end. He's been bound increasingly in postmillennialism and pretty much completely in amillennialism, except for tempting individual believers. Remember, amillennialism said Satan's binding is about whole nations being deceived. Now he can still deceive individual Christians, but not keep the gospel out of the world. Although, if we had Gary Linquist stand up, he could talk about how there is the gospel being kept out of various parts of the world. How many nations on the front of your t-shirt you can't have across? A whole bunch? A whole bunch? Fifty, no. Fifty-three countries where it's illegal. So, not sure how that jives with the all-millennial, post-millennial viewpoint, but... B, Christ returns bodily to end history, followed by immediate general resurrection, judgment to heaven or hell, and creation of a new heaven and earth. Okay, and C, some believe in a mass conversion that will occur among among ethnic Israelites, but this is not to restore Israel. They just get folded into the church. But there will be a mass conversion of Israel because Revelation talks about that. So they do try; at least some many of them to stay true to the Bible. They just place things in a different time and have some different interpretations. But others of postmillennialism believe the end of Revelation symbolically describes the time between Jesus' first and second coming, from the viewpoint of heaven, Jesus advancing victory over the world. So, Dan, in answers, there might be some postmillennialists that say. A lot of the revelation events are being have been being fulfilled. Still, have been some of them have happened in the last uh, two millennia, in the wars and the plagues and earthquakes and volcano eruptions. And, okay. I
2: guess my comment would be that it states
0: that the whole world be affected. By well, the whole world is affected by volcanoes and hurricanes and tornadoes and. Oklahoma thinks they're the center of the world, so see, that could, you know. Okay. Yeah, all the earth at one time. Okay, now there is a a view that this is not the main post-millennial view, but it's an interesting point. It's called preterism. Remember from English what the preterite tense was? The The past. So this is also sometimes called theonomy. That the tribulation has already happened. That Armageddon occurred in AD 70 when the temple and Jerusalem were destroyed and tens of thousands of Jews were slaughtered by Rome. So when Jesus in the Olivet Discourse that was so eloquently unpacked by our teacher last month... Spoke of don't, if you're up on the rooftop, don't go down. If you're out in the field, run away because Rome was advancing and they slaughtered everyone they got their hands on. And so they said, see this, these events were fulfilled in Jesus, in the generation he was speaking to all, most of those people would have seen. The fulfillment of that when when Titus sacked Jerusalem, tore down the temple, burned Jerusalem, slaughtered tens or hundreds of thousands of Jews, were killed. It was the Masada and all of that, the last holdout if you remember that history. That was all fulfilled in that time. It was the destruction of the Jewish worldview. It was replaced now by something new, a kingdom. Every prophecy of Christ in Matthew 24 is fulfilled in the lifetime of the generation that was alive at Jesus' instruction. So Matthew 24, 34, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Okay. So nothing in Matthew 24 pertains to, the verses 4 through 31, pertains to the second coming. All right. Some Objections. Well, before I get there, let me say some things that I don't think are printed. On, they're not on your outline, but post for most of the folks that hold to it, is is not mainly theological liberalism. It's not mainly the social gospel. It includes many conservative, reformed people. It is not supporting the... Post-millennialism is not about the inherent man getting better and his heart being less, you know, not having a sin nature. It's about God's power ushering in his kingdom, not human power alone. It is not independent of the Holy Spirit. It's a biblical optimism through God. Our efforts, we, through God's power, we fulfill what God wants. It's not a secular utopia that replaces the return of Jesus as the true and only hope of the church. It's not universal salvation. There's still hell. There's still those who won't believe even in their system. Objections, same a lot of them to amillennialism. Interpreting scripture, prophetic scripture allegorically. It's, this is built more on theological conclusion than on, ex, on the exegesis of Scripture. B, we cannot assume we know God's desires. We can't assume, well, God said this will happen, the gospel will reach, and it will all be successful. And we've defined the ways that we think that will happen. But God, as you know, doesn't always do the way we think things should be. All the victory that Scripture promises may come at or after Christ's return, not in this age. It's an objection. See, other scriptures and parables show sudden, dramatic, and miraculous intervention by Christ. Revelation 20 is not a key passage, even though the millennium is mentioned, but they say uh, we would also object that it does not refer to a spiritual rebirth, but to those who have physically died. And martyrs will continue to be murdered until Christ returns and have been throughout history. E, Satan is not gradually bound and restricted, but Revelation 20 verses 1 through 3 is sudden and complete containment. Again, same with all millennialism. What is this Satan is bound and thrown into the abyss and all this and yet we see all these effects out there. How can you be partly bound, partly in jail? Is he on a work release program? I mean, how is this supposed to work? F, minimizes Christian experience of suffering in this age, which scripture speaks rather pointedly that we will all suffer. G, undermines the New Testament emphasis on imminence, that watchfulness waiting Christ could come at any time. Well, this we're waiting for the world to get better and better. It's obvious he's not coming today in post-millennialism. H, our world is getting progressively worse over the centuries in spite of advancements. Technology and and maybe even getting world hunger reduced still doesn't mean that there can't be these cataclysmic events of the tribulation that we believe things aren't getting better. And the famine in lots of places, if you were in Somalia and that, you wouldn't be seeing hunger erased. So this idea of peace in recorded history, worldwide peace, has occurred on an average of one year in 15. And so that doesn't sound like peace is getting better and more and advancing if it's only one year out of every 15. And you certainly can't see that going on now. There's still wars raging all over and there's the the fear of uh, Islamic fundamentalism that wants to kill and destroy even if the war isn't, a battle feel like the traditional way. It's still a war. It's still a battle. Okay, any last questions or comments? Because Dr. Don, you guys are gonna—he's gonna work on this next week.
2: Pieces of paper next week, and they can put either or or post on We're gonna take a vote.
0: Uh, can I be prophetic and and uh, predict the uh, outcome of that vote? So, again, let me just remind you that um, since i looking at your faces and your questions and all of that, we're all, uh, almost all of us, because I haven't talked to every single one of you. I don't know, for for instance, Lois Kluckner, she might have a different view on things, but like that could ever happen. <laughs> I think most of us are premillennial. Oh, you picked on me this week, so see, you get it back. <laughs> so, um we do have to decide whether we're going to keep our doctrinal statement that has a premillennial statement in it, or do we go to the new uh, Evangelical Free Church National one, which removes postmillennial—I mean, premillennialism—out. Says imminent return. I'm not sure how the postmillennialists and the glorious. denomination do with that. Glorious. The glorious return.
2: Who can argue with that?
0: So, oh yeah, that, that's right. Because there's no—the imminent's not in there either. That got taken out in '07. So. It accommodates any of these three points of view. The question is probably less what do we as a church want to do as far as our own doctrine statement and more what do we want to do in relation to the national denomination. If they're going to take that out, do we believe this is so critical and fundamental, we might consider some other not being in the denomination at all or not supporting the national denomination financially or whatever. I'm just not suggesting any of that. I'm just saying these are things before us.
2: Do you feel that the district, the Northern Mountain District, is caught in between local churches and the national?
0: Uh, it depends on who in the district. Uh, Lee Kissman said different district churches is the district in between, uh, caught between uh National office and the and premillennial viewpoint. Some yes, some no. But there will be at the end of October a district conference to talk about that. Yeah, like the 25th and 26th, you can mark that on your calendar. I think any of we can send the elders. It's
1: open to anybody.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's pray. Lord God, help us to understand. Our response, and again, remembering we 're talking about brothers and sisters in the body who believe firmly in Jesus and believe firmly in his death and resurrection and all of the same inerrancy and literalism in so many other areas, most areas of scripture, but we differ in how we look at prophetic literature and so help us to understand their viewpoints, and when we disagree, we can articulate our viewpoint and, and understand theirs to have good charitable dialogue and just part with unity as brothers and sisters even if we disagree and just give us wisdom as a church to know how to stand on what we believe and what you would have us to do as a church in the coming years we pray in jesus name amen